Bibles tonight to the book of 1 Samuel. We'll be in 1 Samuel chapter number 22, 1 Samuel chapter number 22, and already we've enjoyed uh, the music and uh, always enjoy the music and look, now look forward to the preaching of the Word of God. Now, I want you to give me your attention tonight. I want you to give me a good hearing. I don't want you to let anything <clears throat> distract you this evening because uh, I want you to hear what I have to say. Uh, part of my responsibility as your pastor, as the shepherd, is to protect you. Uh, I work very hard at keeping things away from this church. work very hard uh, for keeping things away. Uh, I don't want anybody else's drama coming in here becoming our drama. Uh, and part of my responsibility also, though, is to warn you. And uh, I want to warn you of things that might harm you. Uh, Wednesday night, I preached, uh, gave a Bible study, uh, dealt with our sin, uh, our need of salvation, our salvation. And if you haven't been here the last couple of Wednesday nights, let me encourage you to go to our website. You can watch or listen to those messages. Uh, a very, very clear uh, scriptural, doctrinal teaching on salvation. I want us to be happy about being saved. Sometimes people need to tell their face that they're actually on their way to heaven. I want us to understand what we have in our salvation. I don't want us to lose sight of that. This morning, I preached a message on heartache, on how to deal with uh, heartbreak. And I, I think that's important for us uh, to be able to use the Word of God to help us in what we are dealing with today or what might help us in the future. Tonight, I'm going to preach a message uh, that's a little bit broader in what goes on, is going on in our world and how it does affect us and it might affect us. Uh, eight or nine years ago, uh, after we as a church experienced a satanic attack, I taught on how the devil attacks the church. And that helped us. That eventually became my book, Satan's Toolbox. But that helped us. Uh, I taught not too long, in the, in, not too back into history on a, for a year on Wednesday night. I taught on the emerging church movement. I gave us definition of terms. I gave us uh, the doctrine behind those terms, the source, where it comes from, how it affects us, what it demands of us. I believe that has helped us. It helped us be stronger in our faith. It helped us in reaching. If you remember, I said, I'm teaching this so that we don't get swayed. But I'm also teaching this so that we have an understanding so that we can reach people with the gospel who have been deceived. That helped us. Uh, I've been doing some preaching re recently from here and there, uh, dealing with what we face in our culture today. And uh, tonight's going to be one of those messages that uh, I, it just it's a good positional message. It'll be a help to us. I think you'll understand it once uh, I uh, get into it tonight. Uh, but I preached from this text eight or nine years ago. And if you were here, as soon as I read the text, you're going to recognize uh, the text, but the sermon is going to be a little bit differently this evening, and uh, I believe it'll be a help to us tonight and a help to us moving forward. Uh, it's truths like I'm going to present tonight uh, is why this church is a generational church, meaning it's been here for some generations, meaning there's many generations in here. Long, if the Lord tarries is coming, long after I'm gone, I want to be looking over the portal of heaven and look at the faithfulness of the people of the Emmanuel Baptist Church as they hold to the Word of God. 
And uh, that is so, so important. And so tonight, let's look at 1 Samuel chapter number 22. I'll read the first two verses for our text tonight. David therefore departed thence and escaped to the cave of Dulam. And when his brethren and all his father's house heard it, they went down thither to him. Verse 2, and every one that was in distress, and every one that was in debt, and every one that was discontented, I like to say this is the first independent Baptist church, uh, gathered themselves unto him, and he became a captain over them. And there were with him about 400 men. David has been anointed king. And when God rejected Saul, and God had Samuel, the prophet, anoint David, David was the recognized king. Saul had been rejected by God. Saul could have still had the crown and still had the crown on his head, but the new king had already been anointed. You know the story how Saul sought to kill David. Saul sought to destroy David. David had to flee. David lived in exile. We find here that in the midst of David's story, the midst of his fleeing, the midst of his running, the midst of his being rejected as the king by a large portion of people, we find him escaping, departing to the cave of Dulam. Tonight, I want to preach a message I've entitled this, Forward All My Mail to Cave Adulam. Forward All My Mail to Cave Adulam. Father, I pray that you'll help us as we look into the Word of God. What a joy it is, what a privilege it is to know that we have the inspired words of God. And Father, what a joy it is, what a privilege it is to be a part of your church to see what you've done through your church. And Father, I'm humbled to pastor these people. Long before the sun up came up this morning, there were many busy about getting ready for the day. The songs that we've enjoyed and prepared our hearts for the preaching, hour upon hour of practice and work went into that. And Father, somebody vacuumed the floors before church started. Somebody cleaned the restrooms before the day began. Much work has gone into this day. What an honor, what an opportunity we have to serve together. Father, I pray that you'll take the message. You know what you want to accomplish with it. I pray that uh, what is said will strengthen us as a people, uh, will strengthen our resolve in standing for you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We live in a day today, unsuspecting to some, that there is a movement against Bible believers. There has always been that. There's always been the rejection of those that believe the Bible. Certainly, there's some exciting things going on in our country at this time. I don't know about you, but I like having a president that stands against the murder of unborn children. I like having a president who acknowledges God. I like having a president who, matter of fact, helps the economy. I like having a president who stands strong against the enemies of our nation. I like all of that. I like the movement to put God back where God should be. I like the movement to stand where we ought to stand. But in the excitement of what we see happening, do not think for a second that the devil has thrown up his hands. 
Don't think for a second that Satan has said, well, I didn't account for Donald Trump. I didn't account for what's going on in that nation. He's working very quickly. He's working very effectively to still do what he has done since God created man. He is working against Bible believers. I want to be more specific tonight in my introduction. There is a strategic movement against independent Baptists. The movement centers around the desire to take away their independence, to put them under uh, authority of another. If you know true Baptist history, if you know the, the Bible and what the Bible says about a church, the Bible has one head. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, we have one authority, and it's the Word of God. But there is a movement with uh, legislation. Uh, even as we meet tonight, there is legislation that has been introduced in several different states that would put government regulation on independent Baptist churches. Coupled with the news media, coupled with social media, there is a strategic movement against independent Baptists. But let me remind you, there is no new thing under the sun. The devil has used the same tricks he's always used, and our defense tonight is the same. It's the Word of God. It's the sword of the Spirit. It's the shield of faith. That is our defense. True Baptists, and it's important for us to understand this, and I say true Baptists because there's a lot of people who have the label but don't have the doctrine. There's a lot of people who have the label and they don't have the practice. True Baptists have never been mainstream. And let me give a warning to the Emmanuel Baptist Church. We will lose our identity. We will lose our effectiveness when we, we lose sight of that fact and we compromise to be accepted. We compromise to become mainstream. You and I need to be reminded that true Bible-believing Baptists have never been mainstream. You can trace our lineage back to the Anabaptists as they were labeled. They never would concede to infant baptism. They never would concede and give up that doctrine. And many, many thousands of Tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of Baptist people, our predecessors, were murdered at the hands of other religions because they refused to baptize their children. Even in the early founding of our great nation, under the guise of freedom of religion. And friend, this nation was founded because there were people, yes, there were some, seeking treasures, there were some seeking lands, but this nation was founded because there was a host of people who sought freedom to serve God as they desired to serve God. But even in the early days of our great nation, Baptists were persecuted. Part of our history that's been swept under the rug. But Baptists have been persecuted. Make no mistake today that the true Bible-believing Baptists are scourged to many people. They are, we are vilified in the attempt to be minimized. You say, Pastor, why did you bring that out? Uh, we're, you're supposed to encourage us tonight. We'll get to the encouraging part in just a moment. But I want us to understand something because there's always an enticement. There's always the bait 
of Satan to, to pursue that which is accepted. Let's be honest tonight. I like for people to like me. I like for people to realize how nice of a guy I really am. I like for people to be as excited about the Word of God as I am about the Word of God. But the truth of the matter is, that's not the reality amongst many people. There's nothing new under the sun. We go back to the story of David. And in verse 1 and 2, we find that David, the anointed king, by the prophet of God, has been fleeing for his life. David was the true king. David had been chosen by God. David was a man after God's own heart. And yet, the day that he was anointed is when his troubles began. The day when he was anointed by Samuel to be the next prophet, that is when things were put into motion where the devil himself would work against Uh, David himself, because let me remind you, it is through the lineage of David that Christ would be born. And then David has now, he has to flee for his life. And the scripture tells us he departs and escapes to the cave of Dulam. And when his brethren and all his father's house heard it, they went down thither to them. You've got to understand, and if you continue reading in, in, in chapter number 22, Saul is going to order the killing of, of, I think it's 85 different priests of God and ent- entire families because they stood with David. So now David, going to the cave of Dulam, his family in their house, the father's house, joined them there. Then verse number 2 is very interesting. You would expect family to join the future king. You would expect the father's house to come to where David is hiding. You would understand that they are afraid for their life. Saul is going to do whatever he can to kill David because David is a threat to his kingdom. David has been chosen by God to replace his kingdom. And anybody associated with David, he's going to seek to destroy. We find in verse number 2 what I believe is very interesting, and we get uh, the theme of our message tonight. There's a group or groups of people, upon hearing that David had fled to cave Adullam, the Bible tells us uh, that there were many who fled to that cave as well. And that leads me to the first statement I want to make tonight. And we find this to be true in verse number 2, that the cave was a choice. David fled to the cave because his life was in danger. His father's house went because he was there. Now notice in verse number 2, no one forced those in distress, those in debt, those that were discontented, to go to the cave with David. So you say, Pastor, why would this group of people leave their life to go hide in a cave with a fugitive? Well, you must understand. They they, they were forced to comply or go to the cave. They were forced to reject the anointed king or they had to go to the cave. 
they had to sell out what they believed or go to the cave. Let me make the application to us tonight. There are many woke, independent Baptists who are paired with the culture of vain affections mentioned in Romans chapter 1 who are demanding a revolution amongst independent Baptists. Well, I'm here to say tonight, forward my mail to Cave Adullam. I don't need to reform my doctrine. My Bible doesn't need to be reformed. My church does not need to be reformed. You can forward my mail to Cave Adullam. There's a group today who says, change your Bible. I say, forward my mail. There's a group today that attacks the previous generation, and you are to align with them. You are to, you are to join with them. You are to participate with them or else. Well, friend, I choose the cave before I criticize and attack a previous generation to which I have everything I have because of their battles. And we can parallel that with what goes on in our nation today. There's a generation of spoiled brats who enjoy freedom today because of the blood that was shed on, on foreign soil of moms who got the terrible news that their child, his life has been taken defending the freedom of our nation, and they demand a change, and they demand, and they want to criticize previous generations. Friend, give me the cave. We have a group today that says, comply with the board of this or the board of this or else. Give me the cave. Then you have some independent Baptist Gestapo. They say, you comply or we'll ruin you. You comply or we'll boycott your meetings. You, you comply or you'll be the subject at the next preacher's meeting. Well, I just want everybody to hear me loudly and clearly tonight. Forward my mail to Cave Adulam. There's a group of woke independent Baptists who tell you that you can't just tolerate but you should accept Calvinism. Calvinism is still a doctrine conspired by Satan himself from the fiery pits of hell. My Bible says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. There's a group in our independent Baptist circles today who say, Accept ecumenicism. You have to include everyone. I say, Forward my mail. To cave Adulam. There are some today, and you'll find them with the largest following. You'll find them at most of the preachers' meetings that say, accept the emergent style of contemporary music. I say, no thanks. I choose the cave. There, there are many who say, I'll tell you what meeting that you can attend and what meeting you can attend. Well, friend, I'm just telling you, I have a choice. I don't have to comply. I don't have to compromise. I don't have to sell out. Well, you'll have to flee to the cave, forward my mail to Cave Adulam. I willingly go to the cave. I freely choose the cave. And let me just say, don't feel sorry for me. I chose the cave. Don't feel sorry for me. I choose my position. 
Don't pity me at this ignorant, unlearned, independent Baptist. Don't pity me, friend. I'm perfectly content with the choice that I've made with living in the cave. We find statement number two. The cave is where God assembles the like-minded. God uses the compromise and weakness of others to propel truth. Don't miss that. We live in a day today when lines are being drawn. And you mark it down on 0202 of 2020 that I said from behind this pulpit with what we are facing as Bible believers, if we'll stand and we'll have our mail forwarded, God is using that to prepare for something in the future. Because God uses the compromise. God uses the persecution. Read Acts chapter number 8 and you'll get a very clear picture of that. God uses situations that I have described. He used David fleeing. Can you imagine Saul? I got him on the run. The enemies of David, he's fleeing. He's a fugitive. He, is, he, has, been, he has been branded. He has been marked. Uh, he has been ridiculed. He's living in a cave. Imagine the mockery. Oh, how's the king doing? But what God was doing was something very, very key, and I believe it is happening in our day today. The cave is where God assembled everybody that was alike. Those with debt, those with distress, those that were discontented, they did not fit with the mainstream culture. So they all left to David. They all left to the cave. And it was there God assembled everybody that was, that was centered around the king. They were all there because they were in the same boat. They were all there because they had things in common. And can I tell you what excites me about having my mail forwarded to the cave Adula? I don't have to worry about what Bible is used in this cave. We have the King James Bible. I don't have to worry about sleeping through a, a message where the Spirit of God has been nowhere near it. In our cave is the cave of confrontational soul winning, non-contemporary music, holiness and biblical separation. See, it's a like-minded cave. We're here because the culture does not accept what we believe, and they have pushed us. But friend, do not be discouraged because the debt, those in debt, those in distress, those that have discontented, gathered together, and they had the same thing in common. They went there, because the king was there. They went there because the anointing was there. They went there because they believed that the word of God, they believed what God had said. And there's many today that would say, oh, you live in a cave. But I've still got my Bible 
Oh, you live in a cave. I've still got my modesty. Oh, you live in a cave. Well, I, I, I still, we still preach and we still produce uh, clean young people. Oh, you live in a cave. I feel so sorry for you. Nobody accepts you. Oh, we still have our Christ-honoring music. Oh, you live in a cave, you poor people. Oh, we still have our soul winning. Oh, you're not mainstream. Oh, you're that church. We still have our spirit-filled, life-changing preaching. We still are provi- we're still providing and producing Christian homes. And can I just say this? My wife hasn't changed my dress standards. It's amazing how many of these woke, independent Baptists, I think I've said enough. Statement number three. Don't miss this. The cave was a place of transformation. In just a moment, I'm going to read from 2 Samuel 23. I want you to see one more time in verse number two who is there. The misfits. The rejected. The ones who, if you take a copy of the purpose-driven church, which there's influential independent Baptists who've been teaching for decades without telling people and if you point it out, you get sent to the cave. But if you open the purpose-driven church, it, it tells you there's a certain kind of people you go for. It's a certain kind of people you target. Amazingly, there's no people with broken lives in the crosshairs. Let me put it this way. There's no in debt. There's no discouraged. There's no discontented. But friend, these were the misfits. These had problems. These were not the backbone of society. The Bible describes them by their problems. God describes them by their shortcomings. God describes them in verse number 2. With, with, they are the ones that you would say, here's a list of what cannot... Don't put that on your resume. And yet, we have the anointed king fleeing from Saul. And what does God assemble around him? The misfits. But did you... Hear what I said, point number three was, the cave was a place of transformation. Flip over to 2 Samuel chapter number 23. Let me remind you, we start in 2 Samuel, or 1 Samuel 22, with those in debt, discouraged, discontented. 2 Samuel chapter 23 in verse number 8 if you have it, we'll start there. If you don't have it, you'll have time to catch up with me. These be the names of the mighty men whom David had. The Tachmanite that sat in the seat, chief among the captains, the same was Adino, the Esnite. He lifted up his spear against 800 whom he slew at one time. 
And after him was Eleazar, the son of Dodo, the Ahohite, one of the three mighty men with David, when they defied the Philistines that were there, gathered together to battle, and the men of Israel were gone away, he arose and smote the Philistines until his hand was weary, and his hand clave into the sword, and the Lord wrought a great victory that day. And the people returned after him only to spoil. And after him was Shammah, the son of Agi, the Herai, and the Philistines were gathered together into a troop. There was a piece of ground full of lentils, and the people fled from the Philistines. But he stood in the midst of the ground and defended it and slew the Philistines, and the Lord wrought a great victory. Now, if you're familiar with 2 Samuel chapter number 23, you know throughout this chapter, and this chapter ends with the name of every one of David's mighty men. But don't lose sight of verse number 13. And the three of the thirty chief went down and came to David in the harvest time unto the cave of Adullam. And the troop of the Philistines pitched in the valley of Rephim. Wait a minute. When did David get an army? When did the anointed king assemble these mighty men? Have you ever wondered where the mighty men came from? Let me tell you where the mighty men came from. They came from 1 Samuel chapter number 22 and verse number 2. They were the ones in distress. They were the ones in debt. They were the ones that were discontented. They were the ones that society would reject. They were the one that had nothing to offer, but they made a decision to go to the cave with the anointed king. They made a decision to make the right choice, and they went and they assembled around the king. And in that cave, there was a transformation that took place. There was something that God did in the lives of these in debt, distressed, discontented. God did a work in their life that I don't believe could have been done except under those circumstances. And we read about them as we just did in 2 Samuel 23. And now we have a man who is, who is slaying 800 of the enemy at one time. You have a man who refuses to give an inch of an old pea patch and defeat the Philistines as long as they'll just keep coming. Where did this come from? These are those who said, I'll not compromise. I'll just go to the cave. And a transformation takes place, friend, tonight as there is a move by Satan across this globe in our nation amongst our own people. You could say uh, to, to change and to compromise and to silence the voice of those that stand with the voice of God. Don't be discouraged because we go to the cave. Let me remind you, forward my mail, I chose to go to the cave because it's in the cave that Christians become prayer warriors. I didn't say who prayed out of convenience. They, had, they developed power in their prayer. That's when preachers become spirit-filled. That's when God begins to work in the life of men who will make a difference. That's when churches become empowered to shake a city, to shake a state, to shake a nation and even a world. Yes, Yes, there's some who lose friends. 
And I think there's certainly in our nation today, there's a young preacher who he's lost his alma mater because he would not bend. He's lost his preacher friends because he would not compromise. He's been ridiculed and been scorned. But what something's going to happen in his ministry, he'll choose the cave and God will empower him. He'll choose the cave, and God will use him. The cave was a place of transformation. That's okay. Leave the alcoholic. We'll win him with the gospel. We'll let the gospel clean him up. We'll plug him in a Sunday school class and watch what God does from the inside out. It's amazing what God will do with people who stand. Don't miss this. You can have all the talent in the world. You can have all the ability in the world. You can cross your T's and dot your I's, but if you will not stand on the Word of God, God is not going to use you. God is not going to empower you. It is a, He'll use those that others have, been, have discarded. He'll use those who've been cast out, and He'll transform them because they would not turn back from that which they knew to be true. Number four, and I'm done. My final statement tonight is this. I'll camp with the king. I guess I do as well as I do with things because of the perspective I approach them with. Some would feel sorry for me because my mail is forwarded to Camp Adulam. Don't feel sorry for me. I'm camping with the king. Keep the perspective of Emmanuel Baptist Church. We're never going to be the most popular church in town. We're never going to win a popularity contest amongst independent Baptists. I'm never getting invited to the White House. But I'm camping with the king. See, it would change your perspective. When you look at it from the fact that I'm not living in a cave, I'm camping with the king. I get to be where God is. I get to be where the king is. And friend, I make no apologies. I have no regrets for having my mail forwarded to Camp Adulam. I'd rather have my mail forwarded to a dirty, musty, damp, cave, but if that's where the king is, I'll be there with the king. I'll keep my sword polished. I'll keep it ready. I'll let God do what only God can do. And when it is time for the king to march to Jerusalem, I want to be there with him. When it's time for him, well, you talk about coming out of the cave and becoming mainstream. When King Jesus takes his rightful place on his throne and establishes it on this earth, oh, friend, I don't want to be one of those who gave up with the truth because of the pressure of a group of preachers. I don't want to be one of those because somebody in the church got disgruntled and tried to take the authority of the church and silence the preacher. Oh, friend, I'll go to the cave tomorrow. I'll start a Doolin Baptist church tomorrow because I'm perfectly content having my mail forwarded to cave a Doolin. Friend, you may say it's too hard. You're just camping with the king. There's too many battles to fight. 
Well, you fight that battle. The day is going to come to a close. You may have to drag yourself back in that cave. And you plop by that campfire, trying to keep warm. Take a peek through those flames. You see him? There he is. He's the anointed king. And I'd rather sit in a cold cave with the king of kings and the lord of lords and all the accolades, all the invitations, all the pats on the back that anybody can offer. Friend, I want us to be reminded tonight it's one of those messages tonight that I think all of us can make an application. Truth is not always accepted. Truth is not popular. And for a time, it seemed as though the king was losing. But God was doing something. God was revealing in the hearts of men what they really were. And I believe there were many in that day who because they feared Saul would not stand with the king. And it's true in our day. Why does God allow truth to fall in the street? Why does God allow the oppression of the Bible believer? Some of you face it at work. Some of you faced it with your own family after your salvation. Why in the world would God allow that? We don't know the mind of God. I would say if they'd crucify the perfect Son of God, didn't Jesus warn that they'd do much worse than us, to us? But God allows certain things to happen. Because he knew King David was going to fight a lot of battles for him. And David would need an army. And the kind of army that David was going to have and David was going to need could only be created in one place, in the cave. You go back and you study Baptist history, you study church history. God allows... Oppression. There's splits, if I could use that word. And there's a group of people that get on the same page. And they discover they don't have to have their alma mater if they have God. They discover they don't have to be the favored one of the preacher's fellowship if they have God. They discover that they don't have to be plugged in to this place and that place if they're plugged into this. There are people, why does God allow churches to go through battles? Well, one, the devil is always trying to stop a church that stands on truth and preaches the gospel. As long as we're faithful to this book, there's going to be battles for us to fight. But in the midst of that, God will allow some things because somebody's going to have to choose whether or not they're, ready to, they're, they're willing to go to Cave Adullam. In the midst of that is when a Christian is going to discover the power of prayer.
It's where a young man is going to forge his beliefs. Because 20 years down the line, when he does stand in a pulpit, everybody's coming for him to take away their independence. Everybody's coming to try and control that man. God uses the cave to formulate an army to do a work for him. Friend, I cannot speak for you. I cannot speak for my preacher friends. But as far as I'm concerned, forward my mail to Cave Adulam. Father, I pray that.